I say how to do, how to do, how to do. Welcome to the show. Let's talk. Glad to be here. It's a Sunday evening. Went to church today. Good sermon. Always a good sermon. Great sermons. Right on target. Right on target. And uh, anyways, welcome. Let's talk. Politics and religion. This is Mike. I'm your host. Always. And today's episode is called Seeing Through the Fog. Seeing Through the Fog. Got to be careful about that, especially those of us that drive and you've driven, ever driven in some fog like that. That's insane. <laughs> A little bit spooky. And, you know, it's, it's uh, well, general knowledge, I guess, there's going to be an umpteen car pileup crash because somebody probably stopped and somebody behind them didn't see them. And just boom, 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 boom. They can be hectic. So, uh Everything's good. Can't complain. Went to church. My grandson, who was averse to church. No. I don't get it. Don't want to get it. Not going to get it. Blah, 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 blah. Six years old. So we take him. Because we go to church. And he lives with us for the time being. And do you know that Preston, we're so proud of him. He did his first Sunday school lesson today in front of the church. While he sat in his chair. But he read the read the uh, verse, he read the question, and then he read the answer. It was great. I could barely hear him, and he was only sitting like a seat away. But that didn't matter. The point was he kept going, he went through the whole thing, and when he got done, that was the end, and it was just a great thing. And it's a wonderful thing to see the power of the Holy Spirit at work in a world so full of evil and nastiness. Right? We all know how it goes. And to see this seed, like Jesus says, right? You plant the seed in fertile soil, it's going to, you know, grow a hundredfold. And we're just praying all the time that it's good soil and the seed grows hundredfold. What else, you know? And we're just, you know, we're just really grateful to see what we're seeing. So I got to tell you another thing. <laughs> Yesterday, we were making. Uh, an obstacle course, got some radio-controlled uh, uh, doom buggy type thing. So anyways, we're coming out of the backyard, and there's a gate, a door gate, and right outside the gate to the left is one of those uh, garbage barrels like you get from a company, you know. And uh, he kind of meandered as he walked out the, you know, through the gate, and I says, what are you doing? Come on. And he says, there's a snake under there. Well... <laughs> So I get past the, you know, get a position where I can kind of peek under there without upsetting the balance of nature. And sure enough, it's a, a western diamondback rattlesnake. Not a, not a very big one, probably, yeah, two feet or so, give or take. But they are um, more aggressive than the older, more adult ones. So what am I going to do? Well, I tell Preston, go tell Naughty. Come out here with the 22. So she comes with the 22, the pistol. And then when he gets back, I send him into the backyard and I say, you know, go get the flathead shovel. He comes back with the pointed head shovel. So I put a round or two into its abdomen, you know, um, and then um, I put one behind his head and two in his head eventually. I cut his tail off so Preston could have it. It was pretty interesting. He was you know, watching it still squirm. He's going, wow, I never knew that did that like that before. So it was great to see him learn something new and whatnot. 
So today, a few hours ago, he's out in the backyard. Now, the backyard proper is enclosed by a seven-foot cinder block wall fence. There are two wooden doors, one east, one west, and the southern is a, a big cow gate. So he was uh, roaming around out back there earlier today, and he come in with at least a three-foot-long shedding of the skin from a snake. So I told him when he wanted to go back out, I said, hey, remember something? This snake is out there, you know, and I held it up. But anyway, something we got to worry about out here, you know, and you got to be careful. Every rock you pick up or anything, you turn over and whatever, you know, you never know what's hiding there. <laughs> and some of it's poisonous. So anyways, going to get moving with the show. Let's start with our prayer. Father, your eyes are always upon us. Your eyes see everything all throughout the world. Your ears hear us, Lord, for which we are so grateful. And you hear everything throughout the world. Your words that you speak to the prophets, to Moses, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to all our brothers and sisters and you, Lord. And we listen for it every single day. The still small voice that calls us, comforts us, teaches us and leads us on the way to righteousness and we thank you for this father god in jesus name amen amen and amen hebrews 12 so then since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us too put aside every impediment impediment that is the sin which easily hampers our forward movement whatever it is that's getting in your way get rid of it and keep running with endurance in the contest set before us, looking away to the initiator and completer of that trusting, Yeshua, who in exchange for obtaining the joy set before him, endured execution on a stake as a criminal, scorning the shame, and, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3. Yes, think about him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners so that you won't grow tired or become despondent. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in the contest against sin. Now, kind of a little bit in the end there, he's kind of saying, hey, you know what? Suck it up, buttercup. You haven't gotten to the point of shedding blood, so stop. Quit your moaning and your groaning and your complaining. Think back to what the Lord endured. And he, he could have ended that at any moment. He made that known. Don't you think I can call down 10,000 legions of angels and stop this? That's what he said to Peter. But it's the will of God, and it was his will to fulfill the will of God. And so just like him, who was surrounded by a tremendous or great cloud of witnesses, the holy host, it says, let us too put aside every impediment. Knowing that we have that strength, we have that support, encouragement, and keep running in the contest set before us. Oh, yeah. I'm ready. I'm doing it so far now. 
Folks, this is what happens when, uh, moving into the show, this is what happens when the U.S. government terrorists, that's what they are, terrorists, when they use top-secret weaponry to wage war upon the American people. Now, this story is controversial. Some of you may or may not agree with me, and that, that's fine. I'm not saying it's a definite, definitive thing. I don't believe but again, I know how things have worked in the past, and I know how things can be and will be and have been done. So with that being said, one of the things with this volcano over there in Hawaii and the destruction that it caused, well, it was the death of untold children, innocent children. Now, interesting evidence keeps mounting that the Lahaina fires were deliberately shaped. You see, folks, remember what they told us about the Twin Towers? It was the planes that brought them down. You can categorize that with the story about Santa Claus. Number one, the hurricane warning sirens did not sound. Why were they turned off? Number two, the local fire department was ordered off the fire, claiming it was contained. Number three, the fire was still burning, still burning, though with 70-mile-an-hour winds known to be approaching. So, <laughs> right. The emergency responder resources were withheld from Lahaina as the fires raged. And number five, local schools were canceled to make sure children were without were at home without their working parents. So in other words, the kids had no adult supervision or guidance whatsoever. Okay? Took them out of school, away from the teachers and all them, and sent them home, but see, their parents are working, so nobody's there, right? So as a result, as I said, hundreds of children were burned alive like a mass child sacrifice, almost like a ritual. Don't be surprised if the truth comes out that this is, in fact, a massive cover-up. Beyond scope. Right now, they're not even saying for sure how many were burned alive, but they know it was at least hundreds. Everybody just has all the hallmarks of an engineered act of terrorism. An act of terrorism waged against the people of Hawaii. We need to be praying for them and interceding on their behalf and just being hopeful that they can get their lives back to normal. Maybe not the same, but to normal. America, um, well... This could be another planned attack. Back on January 9th of 2020, the National Defense University Press published this story, and it was titled, Directed Energy Weapons Are Real and Disruptive. I'm only going to read you like a portion of these different things. Just to let you know, I verified it. I looked it all up. I went and looked other places. It's a real deal. So the story which they immediately referenced the 1951 science fiction film, The Day the Earth Stood Still, 
If you remember, it was a film in which powerful ray guns are shown vaporizing rifles and even tanks. They also stated in their, in their official documents, they referenced Star Wars and referenced particularly wide variety of these directed energy weapons, you know, the lightsabers. They're telling us, folks, that the fantasy is a reality. Of course, we're going to be considered crazy conspiracy nuts, but I beg to differ. They're they're admitting it. They're they're revealing it. They're sure as hell a lot more upfront about it than the government's ever been about UFOs and what they're all about. Copy. So, what's a directed energy weapon? And are they still science fiction? This confirms for us within the story that directed energy weapons, listen now, are indeed quite real and they can be incredibly disruptive. This came from the official um, Office of Naval Research. Oh yeah, they've been looking at this stuff for quite a long time. This is part of that reverse engineering, very possibly. If you're not familiar with reverse engineering, the theory is that we receive X amount of uh, information and understanding of technology and weaponry and whatever else from the aliens, and they in turn get to harvest bodies. So there you go. So anyways, it's real. Is it possible that they kind of experimented over there in Hawaii? Very much so. Should you concern yourself? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, very much so. Only if for no other reason than it's the United States government that's perpetrating these acts of terrorism. And then as I'm reading about all this stuff, I I read Hawaii Governor Josh Green. This is what he says, and I quote, there are going to be fires month in and month out all across the country. Is he telling us something ahead of time? I mean, seriously. You know, we're at war, right? So he could very well be playing right into the playbook. Possibly he's a globalist at heart himself. And a lot of this is going to turn into climate change. Guaranteed. Guaranteed they're going to blame the climate. Oh, it has nothing to do with like the million degree heat that comes from a volcano and all that. Oh, no, nothing about that. Yeah. Get ready for it, folks. Climate lockdowns are coming. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hebrews 12, for our God is a consuming fire. Uh-huh. Hebrews 12, not 29. So, moving on, we're going to go behind the scenes. We're going to look at what's really going on. And you can bet those who control Joe Biden, I'd say like Hussein Obama, you know, that's his name, right? Or Valerie Jarrett, they're all in, the, in, a, in a quandary. Now, Valerie Jarrett, if you don't remember... 
She's an American business and former government official. She served as the chief executive officer of the Obama Foundation since 2021. And she was a senior advisor to Barack Obama and assistant to the president. So this woman's got some, you know, clout. But you see, quite honestly, I say that they're in a quandrum here. They're like flustered, not sure which way to go because I think it's more apparent um, recent, recent, you know, news stories have shown that he's he, Biden, is most probably in the first stages of Alzheimer's. He's more unpredictable. And from, you know, this is from sources. And his co- cognitive abilities are on the decline, easily seen, easily seen. You know, he's just short of mumbling. You know, this prostitute media, there are another ones that are, you know, part of this cabal of, of terrorists, globalists, so forth. But they're even jumping on the bandwagon for articles of impeachment. This is serious stuff. I mean, think about it for a minute. They're going to impeach a president for being loony. (laughs) It's almost comical, right? I mean, kind of, sort of, yeah, or what? No? I find it comical. Scary and tragic as it is. It's still comical. They're going to be looking so much right now at trying to find, finalize and fine-tune the stealing of an election. Another one. But see, they know we're savvy to certain things from the first time, so they got to make the difference, right? There's, there's going to be cheating that's going to be considered perfectly qualified. No, 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 that wasn't cheating. And blah, 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 blah. There's only going to be one choice come November. And, of course, that's exactly how the shadow government makes sure only their picks win. Everybody, listen, ladies and gentlemen, women and children, either we become a force to be reckoned with, or these upcoming primaries will be nothing less than another round of cheating. Cheating, cheating, cheating. And, of course, so will November 24th itself, the actual day of, you know, voting. This is really, I would guess, on the the top or the very near the top of the Democratic Communist Party agenda. I mean, let's face it. If these libtards take the House or Senate, we're done especially if they get the White House again. This is raw, raw reality. So's Proverbs. Proverbs 3, verse 11 through 12. My son, don't despise the discipline of Abaddon. Okay, take two. My son, don't despise the discipline of Adonai or become despondent when he corrects you. For Adonai disciplines those he loves and whips everyone he accepts as a son. 
So don't take it personal. Sometimes God's got to get a little tough, tough love with you. He does that to all his children that he loves. Wouldn't you do it for your own? I know I would. Moving over to the Middle East, someplace that we need to go from time to time, as often as need be, actually, because that's where the action's going to happen. There's the action, Captain. <clears throat> now, I've reported several stories on the Middle East and their significance to the end times. And now a key event of the end times is a coming peace treaty. That's, that's a big deal, okay? And it's going to be between Israel and her neighbors. And the coming man of sin, the son of perdition, the Antichrist himself, is going to be the individual to broker it. Now, once or twice before, I've talked about Trump being the Antichrist. I don't know if that he is. But I will tell you this. His son-in-law and daughter brokered probably the most significant peace treaty or document of getting along <laughs> between Israel and its neighbors ever. And it was called the Abrams Accords. It opened up completely free trade and travel between Israel and its neighbors. That's something brand new, believe it or not. Even though, you know, it's like Canada. You want to go to Canada? Go ahead. You know, you want to go to Mexico? Go ahead. And come on back. You know, go ahead. But not, not Israel and its neighbors. No, because her neighbors are her enemies. But interestingly enough, that's, that happened. And Jared Kushner, Kushner and his wife, Trump's daughter, uh, were very uh, prominent in, in brokering that deal. So there's the deal, okay? Now, they want to increase the deal. They want to, well, it's about three years since it first happened, all right? And like I said, it's a new beginning of peace in the Middle East. Because what you have is you have several Arab nations, again, like I said, who agreed to normalize relations with Israel. So there's some money to be made. <laughs> always follow the money. All right? And every president that's tried anything they could do to win Palestinian leaders and Israeli leaders has failed. They get one, not the other, blah, 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 or they get neither one. But when the Abraham Accords came, or the Abram Accords, they resulted... In the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Morocco, and Sudan all signed peace treaties or normalized relations with Israel. Now, that added to Israel's peace treaty with Egypt in 1979. I remember that distinctly. And Jordan in 1994. I think that was with Bill Clinton, not positive. So they got six neighboring nations now before they had none. And now the big fish, Saudi Arabia. The Prime Minister of Israel, Netanyahu, he called the normalization of relations with Saudi Arabia and Israel the deal of the century. And I believe that that's true. Now, here's the thing. As historic as this is, uh, a grand opportunity for peace and so forth, the thing is this, that also called for the dividing of Israel. You know, it's like like here in this country. You know, we're going to carve a piece out for the Choctaw Indians and another piece for the Apaches and another piece for this one. 
and that one, you know, so forth and so on. That's that's what it that's what it boils down to. So I think you can maybe get an idea how people would be so mad about the fact, right? What do you mean you're taking my land? So anyways, you know, the thing is this, and this is interesting, and I don't I've never talked about this before. This thing with the peace treaty. Now, if Trump became president again, he in fact could be the one who ratifies that treaty, just like it says the end times ruler would do, right? He would make a peace treaty with many for seven years, but halfway into that seven-year treaty, he would break his promise. You read about that in Daniel and whatnot. Now, here's the interesting fact about um, Islam. Islam can lie. <laughs> Ooh, wow, I'm, I'm shocked. Islam can lie, cheat, and steal in order to broker a deal. Jeez, that should be a bumper sticker. <laughs> anyway, somebody write that down and email it to me. Let's talk Mike one at gmail.com. Let's talk M-I-K-E, the number one at gmail.com. So anyways, they can break the peace treaty halfway through. So in other words, if they make a deal, say for seven years, I mean, that would be beyond coincidence, but okay, you know, We'll call it coincidence just for the sake of argument, even though that's what the Bible says. So they make this deal, and according to Islam, they can go ahead and break the deal. It, it doesn't negate any other part of the contract. Isn't that amazing? The numbers, the numerology, how it works. Bible says seven years, Islam says seven years, right? Bible says after three and a half, the treaty's broken. Islam says we can break the treaty after three years and we're, we're not held to any uh, litigation or anything. Let's see what happens. You know, in Daniel, let's get to it. We'll talk about it right now. Why not? Daniel 27, 920. Okay, hang on. Take 100. Daniel 927, sip of coffee. So, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. And he... The Antichrist is referred to in the previous verses as the prince that shall come. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Here we go. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. So at the end or in the middle of this seven-year period, He's going to cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. Now, interesting here is that we believe the temple, the Jewish temple, will be rebuilt, and then henceforth there will be sacrifices once again. So he's going to put an end to that. All right? Now, everybody says there's no fixed timetable. Okay? But the U.S., believe <laughs> listen to me now, they want to wrap this up by March. You know why? They don't want this being an issue when Biden, if it is Biden, has to debate, or any number of Democrats. I think except for uh, Kennedy Jr. there. Anyways, and this would be, of course, a huge feather in the cap of, of, of Joe Biden. You know, he'll take credit for the whole thing, even though his administration 
had nothing, and, and or his family, unlike Trump, had nothing to do with this. So we have a lot of turmoil, a lot of, a lot of questions. You know, I think um, because of some of the internal issues that are going on in Israel with its leadership, for the time being, Saudi Arabia is probably just going to wait on the sidelines. And, you know, they don't want to get involved in, like, inner politics, okay? There's enough, enough going on with getting it with, you know, the uh, international politics. So, in the end, I consider this time, kind of wrapping that story up, I consider this time in history and in my life uh, it's a privilege and an honor. And I say that not because I think it's great and wonderful to see hell and high water come crashing down on the people of the planet, but because that is what's happening and the Bible predicts it. God predicted it. Jesus said it. It's a great and wonderful, wonderful and mysterious time to live. Are you ready? Things could get jerky real quick, real fast. Depending on what time nighttime is for you, you could go to bed one night, wake up in the morning, it's a whole new different world. That happened to me on 9-11. I had no sooner gotten up and I get a phone call, oh my gosh, did you see? And no, and blah, 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 blah. And I'm going, wait a minute, what in the Sam Hill are you talking about? I just woke up. And that's what it was. And the world was different from then till now. And it's going to continue that way. And this is why we have to have proper and assured guidance from the Lord so that we can get this, this trip we have to take at times through the fog without any, any worries, without any damage. The Lord reaches out to us in so many different scriptures, Old and New Testament. He assures us his word. And, you know, push come the shove, not for nothing, but the man made the prediction, you know, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it back up again. Yeah, that would be called the resurrection. You can't doubt that. Not even. They know it happened. They, they know it for a fact. They have documents and records that show it, not just the Bible. But so many of those records and documents, unfortunately, are being hidden from public view because they don't want the public to know. Because really, in, in reality, what, what would happen is the governments would cease to exist. The Democrats would definitely, you know, be on the gangplank one after another for days on end. I'm serious. If the people only knew the truth, I mean the truth, it'd be a different world. So through the fog, I'll tell you a funny story. My dad, my dad told me this story. My dad had funny stories. He didn't have words of wisdom about life and stuff, but he had funny, humorous stories. So he told me a story one time. Now, mind you, I grew up in the Northeast where they're, you know, always the occasion of horrendous snowstorms, especially if you went north, you know, farther north. And he, so he told me about this story. The only time he was actually afraid of driving 
Now, I mention that because my father was a very skilled and competent driver. Not prideful, not haughty, but he knew how to handle the road. He was a good driver. And there wasn't any weather condition that I knew of, that, and I'd been in with him through many, that, you know, caused him concern except one time. And he said it was during a powerful and dangerous snowstorm. And instead of taking the throughway, like what, which would have been the smart thing to do because the throughway, um, they, they actually do a pretty doggone good job of keeping that relatively cleared. You know, I mean, you got to take into account the fact that these plows cover a wide area. So, you know, they just plowed this section. It might be an hour before they come back or more. And by, they come, by the time they come back, there could be 10 more inches. So anyways, that being the case, he didn't take the throughway. He took this Route 30, which runs parallel with the throughway, north and south. And they're not so quick getting on that with the, with the plows. And he told me it was one of those situations where the snow had totally covered the road. You couldn't even see the guardrails, which are about three feet or so off the ground. Couldn't even see them. So he's traveling, and as he's traveling, he's following these tire tracks that are the only evidence of anybody else being out on the road that were, you know, in front of him from a car that had already passed through there. And this is what scared him. It was really kind of strange to hear him tell it. It was like he had fear in his voice when he told it. He says, I was hoping that the car tracks I was following don't lead off into a ditch. And that's where I would find the other car. And how true that is, right? He was allowing the tracks that were laid by the car before him to be his guide. Instead of saying, eh, you know, maybe that's not a good idea. I'll make my own, you know, my own way. But either way, and I know exactly what he's talking about. I've had a couple of occasions, not many, where it was that sort of thing, and I thought about that story. <clears throat> There's many times in our life, many times, from the earliest age, I can imagine, that till maybe even right now, we find ourselves emulating someone we know. Or maybe we don't know. Maybe they're a Hollywood movie star or, you know, a singer or something, whatever. And, you know, we, we act like them. We talk like them. We do whatever like them. You know, I was always one growing up. I could do impersonations of people. So, you know, one of my favorites was uh, John Wayne. I mean, yeah, okay, the Duke, right? <laughs> anyway, so, you know, real or imagine, there are probably some of our very earliest memories are of doing that. You know, you get the cowboy guns and stuff and the cowboy hat for Christmas and, you know, you're Cowboy Joe or whatever, and or you get army stuff or whatever, and girls get princess stuff, and right? So there it is. There's nothing wrong with that. That's healthy. It actually helps us to understand and form who we really are. But it, it does occur to me that life, reality, not... <laughs> the life they tell you, but reality, especially in our current culture, which is actually throughout the whole world, you know, life can be like that. It can be treacherous. It can be obscure journey through a fog. We don't know what's around the corner, let alone down the road a ways. 
we just don't know. And you can't go off to some, you know, psychic or tell-alls or whatever. They don't know either. They're talking with demons that are giving out this information. That doesn't come from anybody with good intentions. I remember there was one of them places used to pass it all the time, right out on the avenue back in New York. Psychic, you know, type thing, palm reading, all that kind of crap. Next thing you know, the thing goes into bankruptcy. And I joked with people. I says, what, they didn't see that coming? <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Sorry. As we follow God's word, we know that we're ultimately on the right path. There's no doubt about that. The end of that path is going to end for the good, right? But everything around us, for sure, is like sin-sick and confused. And we, we're in the middle of that. We are, you know, the victims. We're the victims here, damn it. I want reparations, or repar whatever they call it. I want money. Show me the money, honey. Your mama got the money. All right, so moving along. <laughs> the problem, <laughs> my wife just said from the other room, I ain't got no money. <laughs> oh, she's such a honey. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Whoa, no, no, wait a minute here. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness? Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter? Oh, no, 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 no. No, prophet Isaiah 520, chapter 5, verse 20. I think that pretty much describes the fog of our modern world. You know, they call it the fog of war because war can sometimes be like you're in a fog. You don't know what's going on. You know, in the Civil War, in any war of them days and so forth, the amount of gunpowder that was being spewed out into the air between the cannon and the rifles, they literally could not see a foot in front of them. You know, and then we'll sit there and watch this stuff, right? We see it happening all around us. And and just the evil and the, and the treachery and the murders, all this stuff. And we wonder, why? What? God, don't you have anything to say about this? Many times the prophets, in their opening statements, they would say, Lord, do you hear me at all? Are you listening? Hello? It's me, Habakkuk, or me, you know, Isaiah, or whatever, right? Lord, it's me, Abraham. Hello, where's the kid? Because <laughs> we just don't think he's there. All of a sudden, it just we get this feeling, I guess, I feel awful alone, you know? But God answers that question, quite honestly. Later on in, in Isaiah 55, 9, God says this, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. But we do long to see clearly how the plan fits, right? <laughs> okay, I agree with that, Lord, but kind of give me a little download here. <laughs> but in Romans 8 it says, so we can rest assured, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. The call from God is not like you might think it is, you know, or see something on TV, like, you know, 
glorious sounds coming from the heavens and a bright light and all that. It's very simple and humble. Look at the Old Testament prophet, uh, Habakkuk. So he's generally believed, Habakkuk, to have written his book in the mid to late 7th century B.C. So that puts him um, shortly after the fall of Nineveh, which was in 612 B.C., and before the Babylonian capture of Jerusalem, which was in 586 B.C. Remember, in the B.C.s, it goes from a higher number to a lower number. In the A.D.s, it goes from a lower number to a higher number. So that's when he lived. And he found himself in a situation similar to many of us today. He really did. See how it all, like, you know, we're not alone in this, right? And if we read, we could finally or maybe get an answer to some of our questions, even though these books were written so long ago, as some of them were. He spoke with God. He knew God's commands. He understood righteousness. And he also knew that the culture around him in Judah that had grown totally wicked. You know, he didn't see the capture of Jerusalem, but he knew something was going to probably happen because of the wickedness he saw. And I'm sure his heart ached. I'm sure his heart ached as he witnessed what the people were doing. There's many of the prophets speak of that very thing. They were just in, like, constant tears. Read the book of Lamentations. That'll really set you straight. Anyways... We can imagine what it's like, or maybe we know what it's like for him. A nation that was far worse by any measure would be used to enact God's judgment on Judah. What that's saying is, what I'm saying is here, he took Babylon from afar in Iraq and brought them through circumstances all the way into Israel. They conquered the northern kingdom and then finally the southern kingdom where they destroyed the temple literally. And then when God was satisfied with the amount of judgment that had been dealt out, he brought in another individual that chased the Babylonians away. Evil's going to triumph, people. In this world... It's going to seem sometimes like there, there can't be a God. Look what's what happening. How could this happen if there's a God? That's the very reason why. Because there is a God. Because God is telling us something. God is telling us that the time is near for his final verdict. Our, you know, I admit it, the world may look dark. Our hearts could hurt and chaos could envelop us. You know, I, I don't know your story, but I know that that's a probability for so many people. We, we keep a heart of worship and praise to our Heavenly Father. But man, I'll tell you, and I know the feeling, there's times the world just beats on you like, you know, you're a whooping post, right? You know, when Jesus had resurrected, he said to the disciples, I want you to go to Galilee and meet me on such and such mountain. Okay. Well, I wonder if they stopped and thought, that's five days away. Can you believe that? From Jerusalem to the upper Galilee, five days. 
And they're kind of maybe thinking, hey, why don't you just tell us where we are? No, Jesus wanted them at that mountain. And then he would commission them. It's like when God told Abraham, go to this mountain. And Abraham's like, well, I got to carry all this kindling wood and everything else, food. You know, it's like a three, four day trip. Why don't we just do it here? Well, God didn't tell him this, but the reason is God had a goat on that other mountain who was going to be the sacrifice instead of Isaac. So there's things that we don't know. You know, when the apostles were commissioned by the Lord, he gave a hint to some of them, but primarily they all met, except for John, gruesome deaths. Every one of them. Oh, how horrible. John, they actually tried to boil to death in oil. It didn't work. <laughs> so he, dry, he died of old age, whatever that was. But the rest of them, horrific deaths. You got to wonder, would they have still done what they did? Would they still take the commission and finish the race and continue the fight, knowing that for all of that that they do, they're going to die that kind of death. Well, you know, in our case, we don't know either what our end is. We don't know if it has anything to do with the Lord or not. Or, you know, I mean, it's all the will of God. I mean, we could be driving down the road and a car accident, boom, we're dead. Or we could be out doing the Lord's work and... <laughs> We find out how much the world really hates us. We have unsecure borders. We have a quote-unquote resurgence of pandemic. We have all kinds of fentanyl, you know, drug deaths and everything, the crime network, the child trafficking. They're forcing multiculturalism on us, which is really not bringing anybody closer, it's actually driving a wedge in, you know, within the communities. Obama was good at that. So we have a bunch of fucking idiots up there in Washington and throughout the states in this country that are making deals which are just the most evil, evil thoughts. Because <laughs> little towns are being affected by these decisions in a negative way. They tell you that these numbers are good and all. You know, unemployment and joblessness and the gross domestic product and so forth. But they're not. And I don't have to cite anything except for to say to you, look at these cities with the homeless people. Look at them. What does that tell you? I mean, you know, beyond the fact that some of them are just a bunch of lazy do-nothing moochers, Besides that, look at it. This is worse than the Depression. The only reason it doesn't kind of quote-unquote really show its evil face or ugly face is because there's more people in the world. So even if you have the same amount of people out of work or something, it doesn't look like that much really because you also have you know millions or billions of more people. So it's all relative. We know from Scripture, 
we know the prince to come is going to destroy everything, destroy the city, the sanctuary, the whole nine yards. We know that the judgment that God's going to send upon us through the vials and so forth. We know all that. We know that from every day on, there's going to be bad news in every downtown diner and high school student is going to know about it. Their parents are going to know about it. People on the street are going to know about it. Things are coming to a head. Things are coming to a head. Let me say that, you know, when that day comes and our economy totally crumbles, and it will, like a graham cracker cookie, you know, you squash it up in your hands, it crumbles. Who's going to be around with the blue-collar grit and know-how to build this nation back up? Who's going to be there? Second Thessalonians 3. Let's look at what Paul says here. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you. Listen, underline this in your scriptures. That if any man would not work, neither should he eat. You understand that? For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. So in other words, they spend their day gossiping and going from here to there and blah, blah, blah. Now then that are such we commend and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. And then he goes on to remind the believers, don't get weary, keep moving forward. I'm not weary, I'm going to move forward. So this new dementia drug I talked about just recently, and it's, hail, it's being hailed for slowing down Alzheimer's by up to a third. But now they're saying it could be unsafe for 9 out of 10 patients. Well, that sucks. Sorry, Joe. In the end, we got to prepare ourselves. In the end, we're in the same boat as everybody else. Until the Lord takes us out of here, there's no getting around it. We got to prepare ourselves, and we got to prepare the world. We got to, you know, reach out to people, right? In John 8, it says, this is Jesus talking. He characterized Satan as a murderer from the beginning and a liar and the father of, of lies. I think when we look at the headlines today, we see the truth of the Lord's words. The killing of innocence and the deceitfulness go hand in hand. When the disciples asked Jesus about the signs of the end of the age, the first words were what? And I've told you this before. His first words were, take heed that no man deceive you. And then a little while later, he talked about the great deception. And he says, it's, it, you know, this, these are not things that are possible. These are things he says are going to happen. And he says in Matthew 24, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. That's amazing. That's amazing. False signs and wonders. Paul talked about the appearance of this man of sin in 2 Thessalonians again. 
Let no man deceive you in any way. This is what he said. No man deceive you. Let no one deceive you in any way. Calls it the coming man of lawlessness. Second Thessalonians 2. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. There we go with the signs and lying wonders again. And with all deceivableness and unrighteousness and them that perish. See? So all these people that are perishing, they're filled with his evil. Not, not good, not, not at all. And because the reason is why, always, it's always the same thing. Because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. They, they didn't believe. That's what it boils down to. They didn't believe. And now, they're in, you know, perishing, right? We witness... Every day, the deceitfulness of the power brokers. You can't not see it. I mean, we see, you know, in the gas, at the gas station, at the grocery store, you know, you say, well, I don't particularly look for it. Well, no, you probably don't, but you see its effects. They tell you one thing, and they're really doing another. Their purpose, bottom line, by 2030, UN agenda to control the lives of everyone on the planet. This is what I've talked about before, call, you know, calling it the Great Reset of World Economic Forum. They themselves presuppose a world swallowed up in chaos and lawlessness, and from that, they're going to construct a world order that will enslave humanity. So it's kind of like Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. But they couldn't put him together again. These guys are going to tell you by this, that, and the other thing, by this means and that means, all lies and deceit, we can make things better than they ever were. This deception is just one. <laughs> I can't emphasize that enough. It's just one of many signs pointing to the, you know, the fact that Jesus said it was going to happen, one. And two, he's going to be coming here real soon. We're going to be going up in the glory. It's amazing to think, though, that these things, as evil as they are, are they're preparing the world for the arrival of not only Jesus Christ, but first, the master of deceit, the king of lies and murders. All these things come upon us today. Let me finish by saying this. I would rather warn people and have there be a delay. In other words, it doesn't come soon. I would rather there be a delay than remain silent and not repeat what Scripture says about the days in which we live. That's truthful. Not many people, moving along, not many people today, they don't seem to care about one lost sheep one lost sheep, maybe thousands of sheep, hillsides filled with sheep, and one got lost. Well, you might say, well, I got these 999 others. But what if that one was you? Let me ask you, how far would you want someone to go to get you? 
The Bible gives an amazing account of a good shepherd. When he lost one of his flocks that had strayed, he momentarily left the 99 others to go and reclaim just one, one sheep. Doesn't sound <laughs> very big deal, but when you're talking people, Jesus says, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost." That's a scenario, that's an imagery of what happens in heaven. So you see, if you wander from the fold, or if you're that prodigal son, talked about that once before, Jesus isn't going to give up waiting or looking. We talk a lot about working to see lost people get saved, and, and we should, of course, but there's not a whole lot, a whole lot of talk about reclaiming our reconciled and saved brothers and sisters in Christ who have wandered away from the fold. They're just as important, at least, right? They're already believers. We got to go get them. We got to get them. That's our responsibility. They're our brothers and sisters. They're the ones for whom we... we we praise the Lord and sing songs of mercy and, and, and praise and glory. We need to go get them. And we also make sure we go on out there to get the ones that aren't saved. That's our commission. That's our calling. When Jesus got the 11 disciples to that mountain that he told them about in Galilee, he commissioned them. Go out ye therefore into all the world and preach the good news to everybody. In Jesus' name, amen. Goodbye, folks.